So today, this is my favorite session of the entire New Life Conference. Truly it is. Because we're going to talk about some really uh, raw, practical things. Things that our congregations never see, but we know are very real. Like our congregations think that we live in this uh, spiritual bubble where everything's nirvana, where we walk around praying over one another, yeah, blessing, run, <laughs> blessing running, one another. Running through the field hand in hand. Well, we know to be true, though, right? right? Well, we don't do that. No, we don't do that. Not in Colorado. I, I don't know why I said that. Yeah, but <laughs> what, <laughs> one of the things that we know to be true, right, about church, about local church, the messiness of local church, is where two or more pastors are gathered together, there's bound to be conflict. And uh, that's true, right? Let's be real. Let's be honest. And so never is the tension more obvious than sometimes than the tension between senior pastor and worship pastor. And in our modern American uh, church context, the two most uh, visible people, at least, not the most important, but the two most visible people in the local church are, is the person leading the songs, worship, leading us into worship on Sunday morning, and, and the person who brings the message. Those are the two people that are most upfront, most visible, and, um, and oftentimes there's a conflict that arises between worship pastor, senior pastor, and that conflict can surface in crazy ways. You know, it can surface during the service, it can surface during the week, it can happen almost any time. And last year, we shared some of this last year, and we got more feedback from this conversation than I think anything else we did last week. And what we realized was this is really happening. This is a real thing that's happening in local churches around the world, not just in the U.S. So I want to welcome, this is Pastor John Egan. We're so grateful. Thank He's you. been a part of New Life now for 14 years, 15 years? Yeah, 14. 14 years. Yep. He's been here longer than me. I've been here eight years. John's been here 14 years. Uh, John oversees all of our worship, uh, but not only is he an executive pastor over all of our worship, but AV Tech, creative, uh, so a big part of what you see at the conference, a big part of what you would see on a Sunday morning here or a Friday night or downtown. John has a prophetic, visionary voice into all of that, and we're so grateful Thank that John you. is here with us. He's just written songs that are Thank sung you. all over the world. He won't brag on himself, but I will, but he's one of the best songwriters on the planet. A lot of the almost all the songs we sang this morning were either written or co-written by John, mm. and uh, we're grateful for that gift that he is to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's going to preach on humility later, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> he hates when I do this. But I love bragging on this. Uh, I'm going to change the subject. This is Pastor Brady Boyd, <laughs> senior pastor of New Life Church, uh, and the hero of our souls. Uh, no, we do love Pastor Brady so much, and you came into our world at a very vulnerable time as a very brave man. I always tell him and Pam. You were either very brave or very stupid. Or naive. I say naive. <laughs> he says those naive. Those are the only two options. I choose naive. More, and more as naive. I've gotten to know Pastor Brady, it's obvious <laughs> that he's very brave. Um, so we so love him. But a uh, real quick shout out to the guys that are, um, he, Pastor Brady mentioned the tech and the creative world. This conference is, we're so blessed not to hear my heart, but this, this conference was, is always in, typically in the other room, um, but in the last few weeks, we've just had this great influx of people wanting to join us, so we had to move it in this room. Literally, we moved it in this room about three or four days ago, and so our team had to scramble like crazy um, to clean it up in here. It's usually a mess. I'm just kidding, and we just, we got it ready, and our guys have done such an amazing job, so guys, Evan, Kevin, Jess, yes. you know, Thank Kevin, you. Uh, Scott, Lindsay, the whole team, it wasn't easy, so... We got it ready. And it's tough because the nights are open 
tonight's Christine Kane, so we have to make it big enough to fit everybody that's coming tonight. Anyway, it's quite, it's quite the deal, so they've worked really hard. Anyway, good job for them. Good on them. So, shall we? Yeah, let's dive in. So, John's going to lead us through this, uh, and we've really, just to back up, let me tell you, I know one of the questions we're going to get moment is, how often do you and John meet? And John and I meet on a regular basis, every, at least every Monday. We have a standing coffee appointment on Monday morning at 9 a.m., and that's really probably the most vulnerable yeah. time for a pastor and a worship leader to get together. And I think it's really been orchestrated by the Lord, though, because it's 9 a.m. on Monday morning, we both have our resignation letters in our hands. <laughs> we show up at some random Starbucks here in town, and, uh, you know, you're just emptied. I mean, you know how you feel on Monday morning. Your, your brain feels like scrambled eggs. Your, your soul is emptied of itself. You're tired. Uh, you're thrilled by what happened on Sunday, and you're frustrated by what happened on Sunday. And usually it's all wrapped into one uh, ball of energy as you show up on Monday. And, uh, and, but we have regular conversations, and I think it's important, senior pastors and worship pastors, that you have regular conversations. And so what we're going to talk about today, and John's going to lead us through these things, these are the five things that occupy that space on Monday morning. These are the five conversations that we're having to, to one another uh, about our relationship, about the church, about the dynamic of working alongside one another. We're both men with families. I have two teenagers. John has three so younger kids. So we're, we're both married. We both have spouses that we adore. We have children that we're trying to raise properly. Uh, we have hobbies. We have passions outside the church. Uh, but we work alongside one another, and we work closely with one another. What we do is important work with one another. And yeah. so it requires a great deal of conversation. And I'm finding, listen, this may be worth the whole session. Mm -hmm. Most of the problems that are happening right now among senior pastors and worship pastors are frustrations caused by unmet expectations yeah. that weren't clearly communicated. Mm -hmm. Now listen very carefully. Senior pastors and worship pastors, if you have unmet expectations, they're probably not being met because they weren't clearly communicated to one another. And so we find that this is a priority meeting between the two of us because it clears the air. It helps us meet expectations. So these are expectations that John may be having from me that I'm not meeting. It may be expectations that I'm having from him or the team that he leads that are not being met. But what we find is after a couple of cups of coffee and an hour or so sitting in, you know, right now it's warm out. So we sit out, get some vitamin D. Let me tell you something, caffeine and vitamin D welcomes the work of the Holy Spirit. Come on, come on, give me a witness, right? It's Caffeine good. and vitamin D. Yeah. <laughs> and a view of the mountains doesn't help e uh, hurt either, right? Hurt, so, no. so John, lead us through these, these five, what we're calling yeah. kind of the five battles. And we don't mean it, it's not that intense. I mean, John and I don't show up and arm wrestle every Monday because that would be embarrassing for me. But, uh, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he plays the guitar, though. He works out more than I do. Right. So five conversations, five tension points, yeah. five things that are common Just among us. Just kind of some, yeah trip up areas possibly we did a t I want to encourage you uh, newlifeconference.com you can get last year we did this talk um, we picked five other battles kind of that we started with the battle of even as simple as the song list the battle of the soundboard and, and how that works with sound and you could get that talk I believe at our newlifeconference.com so I'd encourage you to do that we actually we did that same talk up in Michigan at a conference, and I heard a great story from a worship leader. Because the relationship with a senior pastor and a worship pastor is so incredibly important. We're big unity people, Psalm 133 people. We want the Lord to command a blessing in our house. So we're going to fight for unity. We're going to fight for connection. So 
we're not afraid to tackle some of these things and also acknowledge with vulnerability, this stuff could be tough. This, these relationships could be hard. Um, but one of the, after our talk in Michigan, this worship pastor came up to me and he said, hey, you know, after you guys' talk, I was really inspired. So I went up to my senior pastor and I went to him, I looked at him like this and I just said, uh, you know, hug? <laughs> should, we, should we hug? And they've never, ever hugged, ever. And uh, the senior pastor was like, it was, you know, that awkward, uh, okay. And they had this horribly awkward hug. And he was telling me all about it. He said, it was horribly awkward, but we both just kind of started crying. <laughs> you know, and I was like, wow, that's a great picture. So awkward hugs are plenty coming for you guys. So all the introverts yeah. in here, we're going to have a hug session in just a moment. <laughs> so I want to give you a heads up. You have about 30 minutes to abandon ship, all right? Because it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to force any <laughs> hugs. But um, anyway, so... We have those five battles, but these five that we kind of thought through to discuss today, um, here's the kind of the first one. And I want Pastor Brady, to, he, had, he did a, a, a bit of a devo in a staff meeting we did recently, but the first one is the battle of trust, which is the worthy fight. This is the worthy fight of living in love and trust because your effectiveness uh, depends on it. So could you share some of that, what you're yeah. sharing? There's nothing worse than being in a Sunday morning and I, I've never been a worship pastor, but I can imagine there's nothing worse than the worship pastor standing in front of a congregation doing the best that he or she can do to lead the congregation, but having in the back of their mind wondering if the pastor, and I sit over here on Sunday, uh, one, if they're sitting on the stage, and I think about this for John and for uh, Corey and for Gina, all of those who lead for us, Rachel who leads for us on Sunday, I wonder if they know how much I love them and how much I trust them. I wonder if they know that, because I don't want there to be any doubt about it on Sunday. Sundays are hard enough without that worry in your mind that there's not trust between the two of us. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions. All right? These are this some deeply philosophical questions that probably are worthy of some conversations in the next three days between you and your team. Let me ask you a question. Can you love somebody that you don't trust? Question. Can you love somebody, care deeply, uh, wish the best for, have a deep bond, a, a relational bond, uh, however you want to define the various facets of love, but can you love somebody that you do not trust? Now, my answer is yes. I, I love a lot of people that I wouldn't trust with my dog. I mean, I wouldn't trust them to do anything important for me. In fact, they have broken my trust, but they've not broken my love. I love them. Lots of people I love that I would not trust with anything important in my life, right? All right, here's another question, though. Can you trust somebody that you don't love? Can you trust somebody you don't love? Well, I, I do. I have a high trust. Uh, call me naive or call me whatever, but I trust our police officers. I trust our military. I trust, uh, well, I don't trust any politicians, very few of them, but, uh, <laughs> but there are people that I trust, right? Just they, they've earned my trust, their position, their, their name, uh, their reputation has caused me to trust them, but I don't love them. I don't know them. I don't know them enough to say that I love them, but I do trust them. If, the, if they walk in with that uniform on, I have a trust, a respect. Uh, I trust that their motives are pure, that they're doing the right thing. All right, but here's the thing. It's better when we love and trust one another. And that's what John and I are striving toward, is to love and trust one another. So love requires time and relationship and conversations, knowing, that, knowing him, him knowing me. Trust is based on shared experiences. You cannot, listen, we, trust is earned in drops and lost in bucketfuls. And please hear me what I'm about to say, okay? Trust is earned slowly, doing the right thing for the right reason for a long time. 
You cannot come in and demand someone to trust you. You can't. Because they, don't, they, can't, they, they haven't had enough shared experiences with you. They don't know how you're going to react in certain pressure situations. The beautiful thing about me being here for eight years now and John being here with, alongside me is we have enough history behind us to look back and based on our past history, we can accurately predict the future. That's what trust is. Based on my past history with John, I can almost accurately predict John's response based on past history. So to, to, to try to fast forward that with some relationships in your life, you can't do it. So trust is earned in drops, doing the right thing for the right reason over a long period of time. But know this, you can lose trust in bucketfuls by being unpredictable, by being impulsive, by not being uh, predictable in your behavior, by suddenly doing things that, that you've never done, by doing things that make no sense. You can, you can lose those buckets of trust that you've worked so hard to gain. And so John and I talk about this a lot. And John, just recently, in the last few weeks, John says, I know we're going to have a hard conversation, but I trust the outcome of the conversation. And you see, that sets the tone for that meeting now. If you go into a hard conversation with someone that you're working alongside, but you can't trust their response, you don't know what's going to happen, it's unpredictable, it's all over the map, are they going to cry, are they going to throw things, are they going to crawl under their table in a fetal position, are they going to resign, are they going to, what, what are they going to do? See, that creates then this, an atmosphere where you can't have honest conversations. So trust is something that is earned over a long period of time, which then makes me value him more deeply. The reason I can love John is because I trust his soul. I've seen, I've seen him under pressure. I've seen him respond to difficult. I've seen him make mistakes. I've seen him shine. I've seen him excel and not be arrogant. I've seen him fail and not be discouraged over a long period of time. So I've, so I've watched him and pay attention to him. So I love him and trust him. And that's, why, that's where the Holy Spirit does its best work. You can have all the prayer meetings you want. And I believe in prayer. We're a praying church. But if you do not have honest conversations where you're dealing honestly with broken trust or a lack of relationship, listen, your prayers will hit walls. If you wonder why your prayers are hitting the ceilings of your church and bouncing back on you dead and lifeless, mm -hmm. it's because you're not dealing with the relational aspect yeah. that, that's required for the Holy Spirit to do his best so work. Uh, it's, it's so good, isn't it? I, I love Pastor Brady. It's a pe peculiar thing, isn't it, to have a I mean, worship pastor, senior pastor, worship leader, senior pastor. It is a peculiar relationship because your pastor is your boss, is your friend, is your pastor, is your boss, is your friend. And, and there's a lot of layers there, isn't there? So, so when I'm sitting in the room with Pastor Brady, he is, I mean, if we're talking about my employment, he's the most powerful guy in the room. You know, if we're talking about um, the church government system, he's the most powerful guy in the room. So how do I, how do we build this love and trust? I mean, I'm, I'm, for worship leaders, I think sometimes we could feel a bit scared. And here's something that Pastor Brady did early on, and it's made a huge difference. And I just want to encourage any, you know, from a worship leader to a pastor to take a look at this. But he, you know, the two words that are just run rampant too much in ministries is passive aggressive. And Pastor Brady early on just addressed that and said, you know what, he told the whole staff, never wonder what I am thinking. And if I'm thinking something bad about you, if I am, I'll tell you. <laughs> if I'm thinking something about you, I'll tell you. Because, and how much space, and I'm, I'm a high emotional 
artisty type person, how much space and time do we commit in our heads to what is he thinking? He, he, he just, he, he, he turned his head ever so slightly, and that means he hates me, and I'm fired on Monday. <laughs> I know it. That's what it means. And so, but I don't have to sit around obsessing because I know he made a commitment. Don't sit around fretting about that. If there's something that comes up, I will tell you. And not only has he followed up on that, but then he also came and said, hey, let's meet weekly because I think that's so important, which he already, he already uh, addressed that. So those few things have made the love and trust build an easier battle um, to climb. So it's a... Yeah, not talking in coded language. And right. It was something that I, that I hear a lot from around being a lot of, around a lot of ministry teams around the country. They say we have this internal coded language that when they say this, they mean this. That is code. It's there's a like a you have to find this internal code to figure out what's really going on. Yeah. That is so dysfunctional, mm-hmm. and so no wonder the Holy Spirit won't come and do something great among a group of people when they can't even talk honestly with one another. They can't talk truthfully with one another, which leads us to the second battle. I think this is a good segue, but to the second battle, because this is the big one that I touched on earlier. Yeah, this is the second battle, the battle of expectations. The worthy fight of coming into an awareness of expectations because your sanity depends on it. Um, You know, Pastor Brady already mentioned that quote, anger always comes from uh, frustrated or unmet expectations. Here's the thing about a worship leader and a senior pastor, we both kind of got into this whole thing for reasons. You know, I got, I started, I became a worship leader. I wanted to pursue that. I felt the calling of the Lord and I wanted to be obedient to that for radical reasons. I look at worship a certain way. I believe it changes the atmosphere. I believe declaring the truth over, over, uh, over sickness makes a difference. I believe it, it changes a city. I believe it changes a heart. I believe in all these radical things about worship. Pastor Brady, senior pastor, got into what he does for a reason. He has some pretty radical reasons why he got into it. Do you each know each other's reasons? Do you each know what, how you view your own role? And I think that's really key. And then do you each know how you view the other's role? And I think when those things are never talked about, when those things, when expectations are never um, articulated, that's when frustration could come in like a flood. And we, you know, you see it all the time. It's like, oh, my, I mean, we see it at this conference every year. It's like, oh, my, my worship leader is this and this. My, pa- my pastor is this and this. Like, what have you even talked about how you look at it that way? And there's like a no. It should be kind of written in the coat, written in the stars or something, written on. It's amazing what could take place if you just got together and to, to find out, are we going to come into agreement? on expectations and have an awareness of expectations. And John said it beautifully, the why always precedes the how. Like, why aren't we doing this? I mean, why aren't we here? What are we doing? Why? Then we talk about methodology, but we have to first talk about motives and why are we doing it? What's the big why in the room? Why are we doing this on Sunday morning? Let me tell you what I hear back from worship pastors, and I'm going to speak from a senior pastor's viewpoint And I have such a heart and a compassion for what uh, men and women do to lead worship because there's such a performance expectation on you. There's so many expectations flying at, you know, everybody wants to be the next Hillsong band or somebody wants to be the next Desperation band or somebody. They have all these expectations. And I have, uh, I I hear two things from worship pastors. One is they say, Pastor Brady, uh, I think my senior pastor thinks I'm a warm-up act for the sermon. That's what they think. And some of you are like, oh, if you're feeling that right now, that you're just a warm-up act. People are still out in the lobby drinking coffee. So, hey, we need a good peppy, happy song to get people out and, you know, get them seated. 
Uh, and we're going to talk about this a lot tomorrow in our team talk, and I hope you lean in tomorrow. We're going to talk about how we arrived at our American liturgy that we have right now, the American frontier ordo liturgy that's crept into our 21st century thinking. We're going to talk about that more tomorrow. But a lot of worship pastors think that they're the warm-up act for the sermon or that they are a karaoke act. They're supposed to do the top 20 hits every Sunday, the, yeah. the happy, popular songs on the radio, songs that people know. Or take some Def Leppard song or some uh, you know, Nickelback song and make it into something uh, Christianese. Put a little Christianese on it. You know, something that they, you know, they get their interest, to pique their interest. Be a karaoke act, you know? There, there's something much more powerful happening in the room during worship than those two things, though. And, if, and, and so if we don't talk about this openly and uh, why songs and language are important, why, why, why uh, sound theology has to be expressed in music and and all these expectations, and if your senior pastor expects you to be a warm-up act for the sermon, if your senior pastor expects you to be a karaoke act for the top ten most popular songs, that is so frustrating for a worship pastor, and it demeans and demotes them to a place that's not even that important. So the why now is, why am I doing this? And if you want high-quality, prophetic, super uh, anointed worship pastors, you have to elevate their status and elevate why we're doing this. I can promise you, you're going to blow through worship pastors every six months to a year if you want them to be a warm-up act for the sermon or a karaoke act uh, for your congregation. That's, cause that, that's just not that important. That work is not that important. If, if that's what we have for them, then it's not that important. That means anybody can do it. Yeah. And not anyone can do what we're asking John to do. And so if you don't ask the why question, why are we doing, what do we want to happen in the hearts of people? We talked about it even this morning before we opened up and we had a video, we had Gina Milne singing a beautiful song, Spotlight. All of that was talked through. That, didn't, that wasn't a haphazard event this morning. We asked, what do we want to happen in the hearts of the pastors and leaders who are going to be with us in this room? We asked the why question before we asked the how question. Uh, if there's not clarity on the why between you you guys, you know, the worship leader and senior pastor or your team, there's no way there's going to be clarity on the why to the congregation. There's no way they're going to understand why do, you, why do we worship at all? Why do we do this at all if, if you don't have that agreement? So you're really fighting for your church because, hey, they sniff it out, don't they? They could sniff it out from a mile away when you guys are not in unity. And uh, so we have them to protect. Brady talked about the why. I mean, Apple... We, we just watched this TED Talk recently that we loved because a lot of marketing companies give the what first, then the how, um, and then the why. Um, and this incredible, just inspirational talk about flip it on its head, and Apple kind of did that. They gave a why first, then a how, and then a what. And they based the, Apple's whole thing was they came out of the gates going, we just we believe in thinking differently. We, believe, we get up every morning wanting to challenge the status quo. They're saying all this, and then, so here's a phone. And you're just so... Wow, I'm, I'm, yeah, I want to live differently. I want to challenge the status quo. Phone, okay, I'll hold this phone, and I'll, and I'll use it. Um, so we're not trying to, it's not marketing manipulation here, but I, I think it's such an amazing statement to start with your why. You do the whole thing, and then you find out with the what. It's like, well, we're going to worship together as a congregation. We're going to, yeah. all this stuff. So, so I think that leads us perfectly into our third battle, the battle of the minds, the worthy fight of establishing who has authority and permission to speak into the life of the church because your future depends on it. Not the church's future, but your future as a, um, as a worship leader or, a, or as a pastor. And I think this is a big one because 
we have kind of a chicken or the egg situation happening that I could see with worship leaders. Um, and I'm not sure which one came first. Either we have senior pastors who hired worship leaders because they wanted a 20-minute karaoke act. Just sing the hits, make it feel good, make it snappy, make it happy, and get me up there to rock this thing. Um, and maybe that kind of led to a generation of worship leaders who just uh, have emerged as musicians and not pastors, as um, skilled singers but not mentors and Levites and people that could really um, think theologically and speak into the life of the church. Or it's happened this way. Worship leaders uh, have seen that you could become famous. More than ever, you could become famous to do this. And you could, there's money involved in that whole thing. So maybe a generation of worship leaders has emerged that are very talented musically but a bit thin, a bit shallow theologically in and, and their ability to lead a church. Something kind of led that, but I think, and I'm not, no doom here, but there is a bit of a chasm at times and I, that we see it with frustration uh, with senior pastors. Like, well, I, I, my worship leaders are not going to speak into the life of the church because they're this thick, you know, they're, they go this deep. The rule is to have something to say if you are going to say something. <laughs> yes, that and that's what be. you're saying. I yeah, mean, exactly. If that's the first rule of talking is to have something to say. Mm-hmm. Don't just speak until you say something. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> That's good advice for the pastors as well, though. <laughs> um, my, my good friend, Glenn Packham, he's got this great story. Before, before he came to New Life, he, was, he had a pretty high-profile worship-leading uh, position. And I, um, I was with him at the time, serving with him. And um, he went to the, the pastor. It was a huge establishment. And he just became the worship leader. And he had just talked to the, the pastor once, maybe, before even being hired. And he went to the pastor and just said, uh, hey, thank you, sir. Thank you for this opportunity to lead. Thank you for entrusting me with this. And I take it so seriously. It's a privilege, and I want to steward it well. So thank you. And the pastor just cut him off and goes, sing lots of hymns. And then, okay, Glenn just said, okay, okay. And he goes, and don't talk, just sing. And, okay, thank you, sir. And that was it. Sing lots of hymns yeah. and don't talk. Don't talk, just sing. And um, Glenn, about a year later, he he wasn't there anymore for, for, I think, a lot of really good reasons. He went running for the hills. But I think that sometimes a lot of worship leaders feel that, you know. Just, just sing these hits, hymns or whatever it is, and don't talk. Don't say a word. Just, just sing. And I think that chops our legs off at times because if I think worship leaders are meant to lean into the spirit, what's, take temperature of the room, take temperature of the city, take temperature of the church, and what is the Lord wanting to do? What's he wanting to say? What's he wanting to breathe? And how is our songs going to complement that? And, but if your authority, if your leader is just saying, don't this, don't this, I mean, it really just suffocates you. So, but now, having said that, from a, a perspective of a worship leader, so I, I want to offer more. I want to speak into the life of the church. You have to be able to offer more. You have to be able to speak into the life of the church. You have to be reading something. You have to be taking in something because nothing can go out unless it goes in. Exactly. It's impossible. So there is a, the battle of the, of the minds, I think, who speaks into the life of the church. I think it's a really, really good discussion to have. Yeah, just having, just encouraging you. This is one of the things I love when I show up oftentimes for our Monday coffee John's got his head buried in some book. I mean, John's a reader. He's a thinker. He's established something in his heart, so he has something to say. And I'm hearing, you know, if you're not reading anything, if you're not absorbing anything, and maybe the best, thing, best way to start, John and I are not reading a lot together, but we read a lot of the same stuff. 
So I think there's two ways to do this. Read some of the same stuff and talk about it, or read it together and talk about it. But read something that's gonna challenge your, uh, your orthodoxy, something that's gonna challenge your theology, something that's gonna give you a broader sense of church history even, of, of where, what, how do we end up here? What, where has the church journeyed from? Where is the church going? Uh, have something that's in your queue to read. Yeah. And, and, and this, is why, this is why I trust John to talk. And, uh, and this is why I want him to talk, not just trust him, I encourage it. I want John to prophesy. I want John to share. I want, he's preaching for me. John preaches for me on Sunday. We preached together last year together. We shared a Sunday morning sermon together, back and forth like we're doing right now. And, and so uh, for worship pastors, I'd say to you, hey, read something. Read it. Uh, read some, something that's challenging. Uh, read something that's going to stretch you uh, so that when you stand in front of the church, there's a, uh, a depth a, 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 not only a width of what you're saying, but a depth of what you're saying, and grow up in, in your language. Uh, I would also say this, you, all of us that speak and sing need to learn how to write. Mm -hmm. Blog, don't, you don't have to post it. God forbid that some of you post some of those things, but, but, uh, but that are even my own. I, I have more deleted blogs than published blogs, I promise you. They're, they're, I call them rants. You know, like I delete all my rants and publish all my blogs. But the point is, you know why I write? Uh, I write because I speak. And if you want to learn to properly communicate, you got to get used to the language. You got to get accustomed to the written language. So write something down and make sure it's a complete sentence. Mm -hmm. You know, understand what nouns, verbs, adverbs, all those things are, punctuation, <laughs> that between there and there, uh, you know, all those things. Because if you don't write language, it's hard to speak language. For those of us who speak, we have to learn to write. For those of us who write, it's good to speak mm -hmm. because language is our friend. Words are our friends. And words are powerful when shared in a proper setting, in a proper way, in a proper context, right? Pastor Brady just mentioned something that I don't take for granted in any way. He, because who, speaks in the, who has permission to speak into the life of your church? It's pretty well established, I hope, that your senior pastor has permission to, and authority to do that. But it shouldn't be assumed that a worship leader has permission to do that. And Pastor Brady just said, I encourage John to speak. I, and I want to just a plea to pastors don't assume that your worship leaders know that it's okay with you for them to step out and say a quick paragraph in between songs or just, oh, I'm feeling the breath of the Lord on this and I just want to go there, but I don't have the permission. I, would, I hope that you could say, hey, if you, if you want to say a couple things, I want to encourage you to do that. But it's not very often that I'm, I tell Pastor Brady, hey, I'm going to say a couple things in this next service, and that's it. I, I leave it a mystery. I mean, Monday mornings we're going, you know, I had this sense. I had this, did you feel like at this moment maybe we could? I just felt this thing. And Pastor Brady will often say, oh, you should say that next week, or you should, you should say that to the church. Those things are permission. Those things are encouragement. Those things make a big difference. That's not just conversation. That's really big. We make one quick uh, viewpoint. Every senior pastor in the room is thinking what I'm thinking right now. I, I give permission for John to speak into the vision of the church, not to change it, not, right. not, to, not to deviate from it without talking to me first. So don't, don't, don't insert new vision. Build upon the vision that God's already doing among you. That, that's, that's, I know that should be unspoken, but it probably needs to be spoken. Yeah. You know, so there's not any false expectations about what I want. So, uh, and what we want, what the Spirit's saying to us, how God's forming us. It's the Holy Spirit that shapes the church, by the way. Yeah. And the moment any senior pastor believes he's shaping the church, we have fallen victim to our own self-importance. And that was worth, by the way, the whole hour. The moment we start shaping the church, we have fallen victim to our own self-importance. It's the Holy Spirit's work to shape the church. It's our, it's our work to pay attention 
and to call attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing in our congregation. I do not shape New Life Church around my own personality, around me, uh, some person of Brady. Or, or John, and John doesn't do it around the band, uh, around the D-band. We're not a D-band church. We're not a desperation band with a church attached. We're not some person that, of importance with a church attached to them. We are participating in the work of the Holy Spirit here. Therefore, we pay attention, we call attention, we talk about it so that there's unity when we do talk. The Holy Spirit is shaping our congregations. Amen? That's awesome. I should have been a louder amen. All right, go ahead. Come on. Come on. Come on, people. It's almost lunchtime. All right, number four. <laughs> that leads us well into, I mean, you just mentioned, I don't, I'm not surrounding myself with people just exactly like me, but the fourth battle is the battle of DNA, the worthy fight of celebrating your differences because your relationship depends on it. I heard a great saying that senior pastors are from Mars and worship leaders are from Venus. Um, and I think uh, that's the beauty of the body of Christ, isn't it? You know, the arms, the legs, the different, the different functions, and I think it's something that needs to be celebrated, not tolerated, is your differences. I mean, Brady and I, we get to make fun of each other because how different we are. He makes fun of me because I cry a lot and I'm emotional. The Giants fan. And I'm a Giants fan, yeah. From and Jersey. I, and I make fun of him because he grew up in Louisiana, and then I, I just stopped there because that's, that's pretty much enough. <laughs> but I didn't marry my cousin. I want you to know that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Prove not. it, prove it. <laughs> Twice removed. <laughs> No, I mean, we, we are incredibly different, and uh, I just think it's such it's an amazing uh, strength. And does it take more work to build a relationship with people that aren't exactly like you? Yeah. But does it bear more fruit? I say, yeah. It well, really the, does. The buzzword in the local church right now is diversity, and I find it pretty comical sometimes when I go to churches and they say, man, we really want diversity. I say, well, first of all, you're all the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. the staff is all the same, so why do you, you can't contend for diversity if you're all going to be homogenous. So being homogenous and being diverse are opposite uh, ideas. Um, If if your goal is to be homogenous, then you're never going to be diverse. If you're going to be diverse, you better get rid of your homogeny right now because you've got to invite people around you that uh, are different. Or you'll never, the, the congregation sees that very quickly. I mean, people walk in, uh, I mean, just to something that, you know, of no, this is a bit of an aside, but you know, the scripture that's often, I think, abused and mis- misinterpreted is the iron sharpening iron idea, um, you know, where there seems to be, you know, every pastor stands, iron sharpens iron. The problem with what most pastors are saying is they don't want anybody striking their iron. They want to be the one striking the iron. Yeah, right. And I think one of the questions about DNA is, and about diversity and about being different, is, is allowing for different ideas and different opinions to express themselves without being shot down in meetings. Uh, maybe someone saying, hey, how can we do this better? What's, what's a different way? And a lot of pastors take that on as a, first of all, if you're insecure, you'll yeah. never be diverse. Threatened. Only secure leaders are diver- uh, allow for diversity around them yeah. because there's too many competing ideas. If you're an insecure leader, you're always going to have people around you that are usually younger and say yes to you. I mean, it's truly what it is. I spot that around leaders. If you, all you have around you are a bunch of young leaders that will say yes to you, that are kind of in awe of you or enamored with you, then you're never going to have a diverse group. But when you get rid of your insecurity, and that's a whole different sermon, when you allow God to do this deep work in you where people can disagree honorably with you, where people can uh, respectfully bring new ideas, can confront you and deal with you, then you start allowing for this diverse DNA to start popping up around the church. People unlike you. I'm a, I'm a redneck from Louisiana. I own guns. I hunt. I, I, th- I mean, that's who I am. But that's not true about our staff. 
Or, I, we probably have people that are anti-gun on our staff. I don't know who they are, but I would probably think they are. <laughs> and there we even allow, you know, uh, Raider fans to be on oh, our staff. No. Now, I have never allowed an Alabama fan to be on staff. We allow Auburn fans. We have some of that, but no Alabama fans. We have Alabama fans on staff? You're not telling me? No, we have a Raiders, fan. Raiders fan. Nico a Raiders is a Raiders fan. fan. Yeah, okay, there's yeah. two of them over yeah. there, right? Nico. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> But this idea of DNA means, you know, a lot of times people say DNA is more like a franchise. Uh, but if you think about family versus franchise, what are you trying to create in your church? A family culture or a franchise culture? A franchise culture yeah. says wherever, whichever McDonald's you go to, it's going to serve the same menu with the same ingredients. And the, the decor and the furniture is all going to be the same. No matter what McDonald's you go to, it's all going to look awesome, but exactly the same. A family culture in a church says we're going to allow for men and women, young and old, uh, we're going to allow for different opinions, different expressions, because there's a mutual trust and admiration and respect for those ideas. But it's, we're not going to look the same. We're not going to be the same. And, and the reason family is so important because family gives us the grace to express our differences. Right. Franchises, there's no, there's no autonomy in franchise yeah. ideas. Tons of autonomy in the family culture, though. And among worship leaders, even, uh, even on some Sundays, we have completely different expressions of worship on yeah. Sunday. John's very prophetic and edgy and uh, speaks, and what he says carries a great deal of weight, and so his personality comes out of him. But we may have someone else that's more prayerful, more devotional, uh, wants to lead in a different way. So allowing different expressions uh, of, of worship on your stage creates diversity in the culture. Uh, we have people who preach for me that I'm, I'm, I'm more apostolic, more prophetic when I preach. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not confused. I'm, I, I read and I study and I'm smart, but I'm not an academic. I'm not a teacher. Teaching doesn't come natural to me. But, so when people come and some of our staff, they're more teachers. They're more academic. They, they, they are studying and reading things that I don't read uh, that they tell me about later. But, but allowing diversity in your preaching and diversity in your worship creates permission then in your congregation to be different. And I, Pastor Brady models this so amazing. I think he's humble and he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't let the insecurities. He's so, to build a team of diversity, it does. Take so, it takes so much strength and it's been such an inspiration to me to build a worship team with diversity that it doesn't have to threaten you. And uh, right eight years ago when he show, showed up, he was going, I'm going to work myself out of the job. I'm going to raise up people that become better than me. And I'm not going to be uncomfortable with them in the process. And so just to brag on Pastor Brady, he's, I told him he's the, best, he's the best leader I've ever seen. You know, he's just, he really models that so well. So it's a delight to serve under that. But um, the last one, and then maybe we'll open up for some questions. But the, uh, the last battle is just the battle of self-awareness. Um, should be a spiritual gift, I think, self-awareness. The worthy fight of exposing light on each other's flaws because your church depends on it. Um, this is a big one. You know, speaking as a worship leader, we're very tender, aren't we? Very sensitive. Don't tell me I did a bad job because I might die. You know, it might happen. But can you open yourself up? Can you figure out a way to hear I mean, goodness, we all have blind spots, everyone. And I think who better to hear from about your blind spots, who better to hear from about the different things that, than your pastor. And uh, just coffee last week, Pastor Brady said, John, I noticed this, this one thing about you. 
Um, and I'm not going to tell you because I want you all to think I'm perfect. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you just, just keep the mic down. Don't, don't, don't say anything. <laughs> um, but I, I could have, oh, man, I, have you ever confronted someone and they're just giving this whole thing to you? Okay, 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 got it. I'm teachable, but. Yeah, yeah, but, teachable, but you're wrong. Have you considered that? <laughs> yeah, and um, man, you can learn so much if you just stop it if you just stop it just drop the facade you know and drop the I've got to be perfect we have such a culture of shame and it's just a human uh, makeup thing of shame which the feeling of shame is is by definition I'm not enough and then then fear usually comes out of that which is I hope other people don't realize I'm not enough and then control happens after that which is I'm going to figure out a way to control my environment so that no one finds out that I'm not enough if you you got to get down to the root of that stuff. You just went all Brené Brown on us right there. That I love Brené Brown, yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> if you don't know who that is, uh, Daring Greatly is a must-read, yeah. quite honestly, for your staff. One of the books I would highly recommend, yeah. Daring Greatly by Brené Brown, B-R-E-N-E Brown. Yeah. Uh, and she has an 18-minute TED Talk on this idea of shame and the shame culture that happens with people and how they manage their shame and manage the pain that comes from shame. We watched it all on our staff. Uh, it's an 18 minute great staff meeting uh, for you or your volunteers, daring greatly, Brittany Brown, you uh, saw on TED yeah. Talk. But that is a giant idea, yeah. John, about why can't we have more honest conversations about blind spots? Well, it's because we don't know how and mm -hmm. we don't know how to right. receive it. We don't know how to say it. And therefore, it just goes unspoken. And the, the, I think the greatest place that the enemy works is in areas of darkness in our life. And the, the, the greatest weapon we have in our arsenal to fight against the work of the enemy is to shed light on things, is to walk in the light. When we walk in the light, that's where Jesus is. That's where the Holy Spirit does his best work is in the light. So how do we do that? And uh, early on, uh, one of the things that I, I try to model, and I'm not great at it. I wish John's bragging on me, but I, I wish I asked this question more. I do ask it from time to time. I wish I was better at asking it because I don't want to know the answer. The, re the reason I don't ask this question is because I don't want to know the answer. And the question is, what am I doing right now that's frustrating you as a leader? Like, I'm, I, I lead John. I'm his boss. I am. I'm his friend. I'm his brother, yes. But I'm also his boss. So I have a responsibility from the Lord to, to steward the gift of John to our church and not let him slide into the ditch. I wouldn't let him do that. I love him too much not to tell him, right? Uh, but how do I tell him? One of the questions I ask is, is there anything I'm doing, John, that's frustrating you as a leader? I wish I asked it more often. I do it from time to time. And I really... It takes such courage to ask that question because you, and it, by the way, it'll take about a year for you to get an honest answer. I found that out. It will. The first time you'll say it, like, oh, Pastor Brady, you're God's gift to all church leadership. <laughs> I'll walk away going, no, I'm not. And then, and then, so you keep asking it, though, yeah. sincerely asking the question from time to time with Glenn or with any of these men and women that I'm around, hey, am I doing anything that frustrates you? I, I'm, just, I'm just aware that I'm not aware of everything. I'm just not aware of everything I'm doing. And I know that I can fall into bad habits. Under pressure, listen very carefully, under pressure you will model the leadership of the person who discipled you to lead. That's just the way it is. So who, who really discipled you to how to lead? That under pressure you're going to default back to their habits unless you're aware of it and can break those habits. Now, I grew up under some very difficult leaders. They were very talented, but sometimes very difficult. So under pressure, I feel the default is I'll go back and do what I know I was taught to do. Under pressure. 
unless I'm aware of how broken that was and I'm being honest with it, I'm dealing with it and creating new habits. So the pressure of knowing I need to change, listen very carefully, okay? There's, there's this moment of honesty and truth where we're aware of our brokenness. Okay, if you're asking the Holy Spirit, you will come to a place where you know I'm broken here, I'm not good at this. The pressure though from that, from that moment of knowing I need to change and actually changing your behavior is a huge gap, a huge ocean, and most people drown in that ocean. Most people aren't willing to take the step from knowing I need to change to the place of changing is such a long journey sometimes to relearn new habits of leadership. How I'm handling artists, how I'm handling creatives who are thinking with a different side of the brain that I'm thinking with, who are seeing the world differently than I am. And knowing that I'm broken, and uh, here's, a, here's an image that I use. I'm a visual learner. The Lord gave this to me a long time. I was, I was w walking through my neighborhood. I was so frustrated with myself. And I was watching, I was in a, a neighborhood back in Texas where they were building a lot of houses. It was one of those fast-growing suburban neighborhoods, you know, that I was living in. And there were sort of a lot of houses were going up. And I was watching them pour concrete and uh, cement if you're from Texas, concrete if you're not. So it's kind of whichever word you want to use, but cement and concrete. And I was watching how that they poured it there and then they waited for it to set and settle. And you can change the shape of concrete as long as it's dry, it's wet. But once it's dry, the only way to change concrete once it's dry is with a sledgehammer. You, you, you have your little trowels, little tools that you can use while it's wet. You can shape it and form it while it's moldable. Or if it's set, if it, if it ever dries, the only way to get that up is with a lot of pain and a lot of effort. And the Lord used that moment walking through my neighborhood to say, Brady, always keep your cement wet so I can use a trowel to change you and shape you. But Brady, if you let these bad leadership habits settle in you, where you can't learn new things, the only way I can change you is with a sledgehammer. Either way, I'm going to change you. Either way, I'm not going to let you stay broken. And listen, pastors, the question, I'll go, when I come before the Lord in my quiet time, when I'm really alone with the Lord, alone with my thoughts on Sabbath, I say, Lord, am I, has there a place in my life where it's, it's so dry, where my cement has settled into that, that I can't change anymore? And so when you come into a meeting with John or anybody where you're having to deal with them, if you come in with moldable, shapeable hearts, listen, they, it, the chances of getting a moldable, shapeable heart back to you, we reap what we sow. We get back what we've planted. It's the law of the harvest. If I come into a meeting convinced that I'm right and I'm always the smartest guy in the room and that they're going to do what I say or I'll hire somebody else, my cement is so dry. The only way for God to change that kind of leadership style is with crisis or trauma. It's got to be awful and bloody for that to change. But if I come into my leadership with moldable, shapeable heart where God's using a trowel, a small tool to shape and change me, that's the kind of leader I'm going to get around me. And if I don't get those kind of leaders, I go to them and say, listen, let me tell you what's about to happen to you. I have felt the sledgehammer in my life. I don't want the sledgehammer. I want the trowel. I want the small tool help, helping me, right? Amen? Amen. So that's a, hopefully that, me, that metaphor, that mental image, it has stuck with me so solid for the last 20 years. And I can't tell you how many uh, times I have gone back to the Lord and just asked him, please pour a little water on this concrete, this cement. My life, keep it moldable, keep me shaping, shape me. 
All right, we got some mics here because so far it's been a very monologue and we want a dialogue today. So uh, if you're here and you have a question, it can be about anything. It can be about Sunday morning. Yeah. It can be any question, not just the five things we covered today. But these are, there, there's two mics. If you want to come up to the mic, I know it's going to take some courage to get up. All the introverts are dying right now. But get up, come to the mic uh, uh, and ask a question. We would love that. I would just be thrilled to, uh, to take the next 10 minutes and answer some questions or next 15 minutes. We could even chase you down if you don't want to get up. Yeah, we'll, it will come to you. Yeah, would you do that for us right there? Would you do that? Or are you going to yeah. ask a question? Okay, you're going to ask? Okay. Now we got Caleb. Too. You're welcome to ask a question. Go ahead. Okay. What's go. the healthiest way to debrief a Sunday morning? Like flow, strength, and weaknesses, all of that. Well, we just described a lot of it, and I think part of it is having a regular time. Yeah. If, if, if John knew the only time I called him is when I'm mad, then that's not a good, that's a very dysfunctional meeting. But, and our Monday meetings are 98, I would say 90% just really joyful. I mean, they're yeah. really fun. We talk about the great things that God did and how we have to replace microphones that are being destroyed. <laughs> yeah, let's just debrief that moment real quick. That'll be out of your paycheck, Caleb. So that was our last wireless mic that we had at work. So thank you very much. <laughs> how not to embarrass people publicly and you know, shame them. This is part of a big deal, which Caleb Culver is insanely talented. So we, <laughs> He needs a little humility every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> but I think regular conversations are the key. If you're not re meeting regularly, then it's just going to be a correction meeting. And ours are highly related. We're talking about, you know, he's, he's got a puppy at his house. So I'm, I'm picking at him about having to go to true. Sunday night dog class. It's true. Uh, we're talking about the ball game the night before. We're talking about whatever. I mean, it's, it's not a rigid, formalized meeting. It's, but it's very, it's very regular. It's consistent. So if you're not, and we're not buddies in, in the sense that we're over at each other's house having barbecues three days a week. We're not, we're not going on vacation. There, we're, there's an age difference between us. There's, there's some things that I'm in a different stage of life than John. So recognize that that's okay too. It's like I'm a, I'm, I have two teenagers. I'm, I'm 48 and a half and I got, I'm, I'm at a different, I'm 10 years ahead of him. So recognizing what separates you and, but also recognizing what brings you together and making sure that those meetings happen regularly and that there's an honest respect and mutual respect for one another, that starts to all, the, every conversation you need has to start with that idea in my mind. And I don't know what your thought is. Go ahead, Joelle. Well, first off, as my pastor and my worship pastor, I just wanna thank you guys and honor you for all you do for this house. And I just, I really love you guys and what you do. We love you too. She's a school of worship grad, by the way, from our school of worship. Woo. <laughs> um, but one thing I've always wanted to ask you guys, especially, is I know that there's a lot of chains that are in the link to make a Sunday happen. And I know that you guys talk about it a lot. Even before we land on a Sunday, there was a lot of discussions between the two of you and the rest of the team to make a Sunday happen. But let's say, for example, last Sunday, the Holy Spirit dropped something for you, Pastor Ray, that you had specifically for the second service, you know, and the instances where maybe the Holy Spirit kind of says, I want to take the, the service this way, and I might want to do this, or I might want you to say something for the first service, but not the second, and vice versa. So as much planning and discussion that you guys put into a Sunday, how do you make room and how do you navigate for when the great Holy Spirit question. might want to do something a little different on that day? Yeah, yeah I question. think one of the misconceptions I think about the Lord is that he's a, a slowpoke, and he forgets to breathe something until the end of worship so it has to go longer because he forgot to say something. And, <laughs> and we had maybe 30 minutes, but, and he didn't speak this. So I, it, it's, I think we get in trouble. There is a bit of trouble. I think 
Brady looks at it this way a bit. Like there's, it's good to have some guardrails, you know? We got some wild stallions that could run around the woods, but what good is it doing? Let's get some guardrails, and there's a purpose to our running. Um, so we do have some structure that we stick to. Now, it's not by the second, because um, it's by the few minutes, and I'll, I'll go over my time slot by a couple of minutes sometimes, and I'm, you know, he- my, you know heads aren't rolling. Um, but I try to stick to my boundaries, and I, we have found that the Holy Spirit could do what he wants in the t- in those within those you know, boundaries. Um, so, but then little things will happen. We want to respond to something. We'll, you know, kind of eye each other. And Pastor Brady will come up and give a word. And somebody else is going to pray for the offering. He'll come up and say, I have a sense about something. So um, we, don't, we don't get too caught up in, we've got to blow this thing open and back because that's what God wants to do. And maybe he does, and we're open to that. But we, we commit pretty, pretty well to our, to our boundaries. Uh, and we, we are finding that the Holy Spirit is free to do what he wants to do. And also knowing the strengths and weaknesses of your team. Um, if you have somebody that's 20 years old that's never been up there with you, you can't expect them to be Aaron Rodgers. You have to give them some space to grow up. So I can't just say to John, hey, John, remember that song? Do that song right now. Mm-hmm. When If he's 20 years old and has never been asked to be that impulsive and that yeah. you can't set people up to win. Set each other up to win. The Holy Spirit didn't set us up to fail on Sunday. The Holy Spirit, I know, the, I know what I could ask of John which is pretty broad. I mean, he's a pretty talented guy, so there's almost nothing that I would feel reticent about. But, but if I had a younger worship leader up here that I did not know as well, I wouldn't ask the same things from them. And, and then I would, I, would, I would trust that the Holy Spirit can do what he intends to do in the hearts of people, even if I don't respond 100% correctly. We think sometimes the Holy Spirit is this fragile force that, you know, it's almost like a butterfly. If you get too close, he fl- you know, he flutters away. If you, if you respond wrong, the, the, you never see him again then that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a person, first of all. It's not just some mystical force that we're trying to control or manipulate. The Holy Spirit's a person who's kind of secure. He's God. I mean, the Holy Spirit's part, the third, third person of the Trinity. So we cannot expect the Holy Spirit to be so um, difficult or hard to work with. I mean, the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of people and can do stuff in the hearts of people. And when we get it right, great. If we get it wrong, the Holy Spirit still says, look, I did my work. I can do my work. And uh, th- that's what I trust on Mondays. So we're not, getting, we're not waking up on Monday morning going, man, did we miss that? You know, we just postponed the return of Christ by a month because we did not do it. <laughs> now we got to sit through another blood moon, another blood oh, no. moon in 33 years. Please. It's another 33 years when we get the next blood moon. So... Not to discourage any of you. <laughs> We've mentioned the blood moon twice here in our conference, and we were like not even noon on the first day, so sorry about that. <laughs> so anyway, Down here? Yeah, go ahead. Hi. Um, both of you as leaders um, and working with your teams, maybe there have been times where you've noticed that someone's about to be burnt out. And so I wonder if you could kind of speak to how do you encourage someone to take a Sabbath break? Because um, everybody's pouring out so much, and opportunities continue to happen, more doors opening, more ministry opportunities, and they all sound wonderful, but you just notice maybe a teammate or a peer or even your leader is starting to burn out. Well, I just wrote a book on this that I'm not trying to sell books, but I do, um, my publisher will be happy that I mention it. But, um, but we believe in the Sabbath here, first of all, and we believe in saying yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. We believe when you rest well, you're able to work well. And teaching uh, your team what to say yes to is, is as important as telling them to say no to things. 
being, keeping your eyes open for God opportunities um, are important. It's a very important thing. Uh, we, have, we have a sustainable pace. We're a, a culture of rest here. We have a culture of rest here because we have a culture of working hard here. And you can't have both. And you can't have one without the other. And I know a lot of pastors that preach hard about working hard, but they don't preach as hard on Sabbath. And, and so if you want people to work hard, we're working hard right now. This is conference week. We're, all of us are putting in extra hours this week. And it's a joy for us. And the reason that it's a joy is because we didn't come into this exhausted and tired. And we, I didn't. I mean, if, if, if my staff came into this exhausted and tired, it's their fault, not mine. Because uh, I didn't. I woke up this morning energized. And I preached this weekend at New Life. I've worked hard. But I, uh, we'll talk some about this tomorrow uh, on, on realistic expectations for one another. I don't know if I'm answering your question. But having realistic expectations, because most of you are dealing with volunteers. And by the way, 90% of our worship team are volunteers. We don't have, not, most of the people on the stage today are volunteers. They're taking time off work to be here today. So we're very aware of how much you can ask from people and realistic expectations from each other and setting, it's up to the volunteers sometimes to set their own personal boundaries and uh, to say, hey, this is what I have available, this is what I can do, this is what I cannot do. Um, I'd love to talk more about this too, about worship pastors. I met with a worship pastor recently who told me they're leading worship 49 Sundays out of the year, a worship pastor. And they have four services on the weekend. One on Saturday night, three on Sunday, and he's leading 49 times out of the year. I said, what are you doing? And he says, well, this is what my pastor is paying me to do. And so I get three Sundays off for vacation. I said, listen, 49 Sundays out of the year, multiple services that you're leading. First of all, you don't have the emotional, mental space to even develop volunteers. And I think you're, we are misusing our apostolic call many times because we're not enabling and empowering volunteers. That's a part of the church's apostolic call is to multiply ourselves. And so anybody that I see around me that's not multiplying themselves because they're being lazy with their time and, I, and, I, and they're not being resourceful. And so John, John's leading 30, 30 Sundays. Uh, I'm preaching 32 Sundays. And the reason, why, could I preach more? Yes. Could I do 48 Sundays? Sure. I just would never have any young emerging leaders around me. I wouldn't have any of those talented people around me. If, I, if I'm sucking all the oxygen out of the room with my Sunday sermons, and John's preaching, you know, if he's leading 40, you don't have a Gina Milne up here then. You don't have a Corey Asbury up here. You don't have these uh, young worship pastors that are full of God and anointed if we take all the oxygen out of the room every Sunday. So I think creating margins and space to fulfill the apostolic call on your life for the church is, means multiplying leaders. Paul never traveled by himself. Paul wrote letters back to the young man he had mentored. Every apostolic anointing call, everything you read in the, in the epistles, Jesus never traveled by himself. Jesus had an inner circle. Jesus said, go out, go do the ministry, come back and tell me about it. I just think there's too many instances in scripture where there was shared space, not dominant space. So we have to share our space with one another. Uh, so I'm rambling on your answer because I don't see anybody else standing up to the mic. And, uh, but, um, you got one more question over here or over here? Okay, one more question, then we'll take, we'll, we'll just dismiss. Okay, and this is a nice, easy one, I think, um, but uh, not really. The, uh, <laughs> John, you were talking about emotions, and uh, I think both of you know that uh, from time to time I've let that get the better of me. Um, and within a group context, you have different people at different walks in their maturity in Christ as well. 
So how as a leader do you actually address that on your team so it doesn't become a distraction, but so that you're also giving a good level of grace and allowing them to grow as well? Are you talking about just out of control emotions, like immature emotions? Is that what you're talking about? Is well, no, I was just like allowing emotions to lead you rather than the Holy Spirit and kind of getting uh, that heading in the right direction, both in the context of worship yeah. and also in the context of leading like a pastoring. That's good. I, mean, I think it's, it's, it's just what we've been talking about. With the, I mean, we meet weekly. You know, you can't get away a lot. You can't, get a, you can't hide very much when you're meeting all the time. You know, we're talking about boundaries, we're talking about, we have accountability, and I think that helps us not get totally out of control with our emotions. Um, yeah, and stuff like that. I do want to say one th uh, last thing as well. Um, I think this would answer a lot of questions that you might be thinking even for, as from a worship leader standpoint, that I am actually not the worship pastor of New Life. Pastor Brady is, and that is our core conviction. Um, I always tell him it's your barbecue and it smells really good. <laughs> And thank you for allowing me to come in and help with some of the marinating and the, what temperature to, in which to cook some of this nutrition uh, to make this stuff, you know, for the people. But um, I think that, that will help, too. It's not a two-headed monster. Anything with two heads is a monster. Um, there's a head. It is our senior pastor. And that is, he's the head of worship as well. Yeah. So I think that... I think filtering, that's a lot of, maybe would answer a lot of the questions. Yeah, and John well. hasn't written, taken any of my songs. I mean, I, I give him <laughs> songs every Monday. I think they're awesome. Very poetic. Hey, Robert Morris, who's my pastor, many of you know, I was helped start Gateway Church back in 2001. Robert Morris said something to me in 2001 when our church, when the Gateway Church was 100 people. He said, Brady, uh, this, the reason a lot of senior pastors don't worship is because they're accustomed to being worshipped. He said, I'm never going to be that guy. I'm going to be on the front row. I'm going to have my hands lifted. I'm going to be engaged in worship. I'm going to be leading the congregation in worship. When they look at me, I'm going to, I am going to model for the church what I want them to do. And Gateway is a very worshiping church today because Robert Morris sat on the front row when he should have been. He could have been back in the green room. He could have. And sometimes I come in late because I'm tired or I got, I got caught praying. I don't come in for the entire service. But when I'm here, I'm engaged. I'm worshiping. I'm, up, I'm leading uh, and I thought that was something I've never forgotten that. And, uh, and I've been around pastors who don't worship, and it's kind of true. If you don't lead in worship, it's because you're accustomed to being worshipped. And I don't, we don't want to be that person. So we're leading. We're down here in the front. You see all our, our school of worship, our DLA students leading with us? Those, those are our students from our school. We ask them, come forward, lead us together. And I'm right there with them. My family is worshiping. We're engaged in worship because we're modeling something. We want the church to watch us. Worship is caught and taught. And I can teach on it all I want, but if I sit there with my hands folded on the front row, then it's never going to be caught. And I want to teach it and give it away, right? 